Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvat Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us on Zoom or in the building Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. For the Zoom link, please contact tikvatdirector at gmail.com or contact us on our website, tikvatisrael.com. There you can also support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and find helpful resources. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of His Word. I thought we could start off with a worship song uh, that I wrote um, that's, I think, uh, you'll see, we'll see how it relates to the, to the sermon. So feel free to sing with me.
probably the most famous verse in the world is John 3.16. And uh, we actually read that a little bit earlier. I don't know if you remember that. It was only a few minutes ago. Here is the Tree of Life version. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life, have eternal life. But you know, I'm a Messianic Jew, and the one thing we Messianic Jews love is context. You didn't know, what were you going to say? Controversy? Oh, no. I don't love context. That escalated quickly. Context. So let's take a look at the context. All right. Yes, the context. So what is the context for this world-famous verse? Well, we actually got a little bit of that, too. So thank you, Clarine, wherever you are. You kind of stole my thunder. Where is she? Okay, that's okay. Um, uh, so we're going to look at the context and, uh, or remind ourselves of the context and, uh, and see how it relates to the song that I sang, how does it relate to this week's Parsha, and how does it relate to uh, the most famous verse in the world. Well, let's dive in. This is from the Gospel of John, chapter 3, starting in the very beginning. Uh, Now, there was a man, a Pharisee, named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jewish people. He came to Yeshua at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you, a teacher, have come from God, for no one can perform these signs which you do unless God is with him. Yeshua answered him, Amen, amen, I tell you. Unless one is born from above or born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus said to him, he cannot enter his mother's womb a second time and be born, can he? Yeshua answered, amen, amen, I tell you. Unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be surprised that I said to you, you must You all must be born from above or born again. Uh, The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can these things happen? Asked Nicodemus said. Yeshua answered him, you're a teacher of Israel and you do not understand these things. Amen, amen, I tell you. We speak about what we know and testify about what we have seen. Yet you all do not receive our testimony. If you do not believe the earthly things I told you, how will you believe when I tell you the heavenly things? No one has gone up into heaven except the one who came down from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The one who believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe has been condemned already, because he has not put his trust in the name of the one and only Ben Elohim, Son of God. So here Yeshua is explaining to Nicodemus this apparently Jewish idea that one must be born again or born from above. Part of this idea is that we must become like babies. My son looks to Sonia and to me 
for everything, to provide all of his needs. He instinctively trusts us to care for him and to love him. So Yeshua is saying in part that we must humble ourselves and become like babies, be born again in order to enter the kingdom of God. The other part is to be born from above, which is how the TLV translates it. To ask God to give us new life, to resurrect us. All of humanity is moving toward death unless they look to the Son of God for life. We need the cleansing water and the cleansing spirit in order to be like innocent babies, in order to be born again or born from above, trusting God to be washed clean. Israel and all of humanity needs to be renewed. Now, why did Yeshua expect Nicodemus to know this? Because it's in the Tanakh. It's in the Hebrew Bible. This is from Ezekiel. For I will take you from among the nations, gather you from all the countries, and return you to your own soil. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. That's the water Yeshua mentioned, right? And I will cleanse you from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit inside you. Isn't that just what Yeshua said? That's the new covenant, right? I will take the stony heart out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, a soft heart that, that follows the Lord. I will put my spirit inside you and cause you to live by my laws, my Torah. Respect my rules and obey them. You will live in the land I gave to your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. So that is what Nicodemus is supposed to have known about. The renewal of our hearts so that we can follow God's Torah, have his spirit in us, and cleanse us from idolatry and sin. Yeshua is saying that the key to this cleansing and the key to being born from above and healing and following the Torah and having the spirit of God and the cleansing from sins and idolatry and the fullness of life and healing, the key to this is Yeshua himself. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. That's right before John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. We must look to him. Nicodemus must look to Yeshua. Lift it up. Israel, the Jewish people, we must look to Yeshua. Lift it up on the cross. All the nations must look to Yeshua to enable us all to be born from heaven, to be born from above. And perhaps if we've already made this decision, we need to refocus on the Lord. Maybe we've made this choice already, some of us years ago, but we find ourselves gazing, looking at other things, looking at ourselves. It happens. For a moment, let's think about all the things we do have and have at Tikvat Israel that the church down the street doesn't have and doesn't do. 
just as a thought experiment. Well, we read from the Torah scrolls in Hebrew. Church down the street doesn't do that. We do the Amidah, standing prayer. We do the Shema. Some Jewish men wear the Talit. Some men wear the Kipot or Yarmulke. We celebrate Sukkot, Passover, Shabbat, all the festivals that God gave to Israel, as well as some that came to the Jewish people later, such as Purim and Hanukkah. Church down the street doesn't do that. And all these things are great. They're part of the structure of being a Messianic synagogue, which we are. We're a Messianic synagogue. But these things are not our focus. These things are not powerful to save us from our sins. The Talit can't save us. The Amidah can't save us. The Hebrew, all these beautiful things. They can't renew us so that we're born from above. Many years ago, our founding rabbi, Jamie Cowan, developed three pillars to navigate our community. They're still, uh, they're still on our website, and we still talk about it when we go through our new members class. And I think we, uh, we, we posted this from time to from time. Does this look familiar to you? We post it from time to time. The pillars. Number one, you can read it with me. We are a synagogue. Number two, Yeshua is central. Number three, integrity with God and man. Notice the first two, they go together. Yes, we're unique among the church of the city in many ways, but not the most important way. Because the Lord is central to everything. It's the Lord who heals. It's the Lord who protects us. It's the Lord that we lift up and worship and enthrone. Not the things we do, not the things we have, not the things we are. It's the Lord. Now, Yeshua references the story of the bronze serpent in his dialogue with Nicodemus. So let's take a look at the context. Yeah, you're there with me. Okay, I was just seeing if you're paying attention. Fortunately, we have footage of this event. No, I'm kidding. But we do have a rendition from the show The Chosen about the life of Yeshua. In this episode, what do you think this episode focuses on in, the, in terms of the life of Yeshua? If we're, if we're going to show something about the bronze serpent, it's about Nicodemus, his conversation with Nicodemus. <laughs> and it's about healing. Yeah, I'll take it. All right. So the episode, uh, it's... Uh, um, season one, ver uh, verse seven. Wow. Episode seven about Nicodemus. And uh, the beginning of the episode shows uh, kind of a flashback. Um, what might have happened, a conversation between Moses and Joshua uh, hundreds of years earlier. So this is what they came up with. And I think there's some interesting things there. And uh, it's possible that this is what they talked about. 300, sir. Where will you bury them? Men are trying to dig a trench, but the ground is hard and rocky. With respect, Moses, my concern is not for the dead, but for the dying. 
Hundreds fall by the day, and for every serpent we kill, another ten appear. Maybe we should leave the bodies here, in this tent. At the rate people are dying, there would not be enough room, even if we stacked them to the top. Then we'll have to leave and find some place else. We're not leaving anytime soon. Too many people are sick and cannot walk. After today, the only Hebrews too sick to walk will be those who choose to remain so. Is there medicine in that bronze? You told the people that you would ask God to forgive their rebellion. To heal their serpent wounds. I did. Then why are you hiding in a tent? It wasn't my idea, Joshua. That is a pagan symbol. You did not ask him if he was sure? Maybe you misunderstood him. I've learned to do what he says without questioning. You remember what happened at Meribah. Just to be sure, we could send a messenger to Ezeon Gip or beg for aid. That Poe. The, the people will say it is a cruel joke. Let them say that. Help me understand. None of this makes any sense. How do you explain the Red Sea? The manna in the coil? The pillar of fire? Joshua, any Israelite who looks upon this bronze serpent and believes in the power of Adonai will be healed. It's an act of faith. Not reason. Faith. All right. Hopefully you were able to hear that. You know, sound wasn't perfect, but pretty good for, you know, 3,000 years ago, I would say. So what's going on here? Well, there's a plague of fiery snakes because Israel, once again, is complaining not only against Moses, but actually against God, it says. So God sends this plague, and Moses intercedes again, as he always does, and asks God to forgive them and to heal them. And God instructs Moses to make, of all things, a bronze snake and put it up on this pole and that whoever looks on it will be healed. Guess what? It works. One thing my wife noticed in this scene is that in order for the bronze snake to hang there on the pole, it, it had to have the shape of a, of a cross. So we don't, we don't this obviously isn't, a, isn't real footage, but, you know, it's possible, right? Makes sense. Another th thing to note is what Joshua says. You notice how he said, hey, this is a pagan symbol. And he's right. Perhaps you've seen this as a medical symbol, a symbol of healing. Does that look familiar to you? Snakes, serpents. Many ancient cultures revered the snake. Why? Why did they think it brought new life and healing? It shed its skin. So the ancient people saw that, and they saw it as a sign of rebirth and healing. But Moses says, look, this is what God told me to do. He's sovereign over all things. And sovereign over all symbols, it's the Lord that will heal Israel through this act of faith and obedience. Not the snake itself, but the act of trusting and looking to God. It's not the how of the healing, it's the who. We see this in the Gospels as well, right? The way that Yeshua heals people, sometimes it's like, 
what is he doing? Remember, he took dirt from the ground and then he spit on it to make mud and then he put that on the blind man's eye so that he could see. Could you imagine going up after and being like, oh, it's, it's magic mud. No, no. That's what the Israelites did, though. This bronze serpent became a stumbling block, became an idol a little bit later, if you read in 1 Kings. They were like, oh, it's, it's got magic powers. No, it's what the Lord did to bring healing at that time, at this, of this particular event, because Moses obeyed, to show that God is, is over pagan symbols and pagan things, he can use those things for his work for, to do what he wants to do. But it's not the thing itself. It's not the how of the healing. It's the who. There's no formula. There's no formula for how Yeshua heals people. You ever notice that? It's a little bit different every time. But what is the formula? What is consistent? Those who trusted and looked to Yeshua and obeyed Go wash in this pool. Well, I don't want to do that. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to force you. <laughs> right? Go show yourself to the priest. I think there's something very powerful also about the creativity in this case. God uses the problem to create the solution. He uses an image of a snake, the snake that's biting them, to bring healing. It's interesting, right? Why might he do that? Well, it's often the case in our lives as well, isn't it? The very thing that's bothering us, it's causing us pain, oftentimes is the very thing that the sovereign God uses to bring healing and restoration. Can you relate to that? Yeah. Not always how he works, because again, it's, he does what he wants to do. Right? And, but sometimes it is, because God is creative that way. The point is, God can bring life and healing any way he chooses, including through a gruesome Roman execution, through a cross. So what does Yeshua mean when he says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up? so that whoever believes in him may have eternal life, right? We lift up the name of Yeshua. We exalt the name of Yeshua. That's part of it. But Yeshua being lifted up often refers to the cross. Consider this passage from the same gospel, Gospel of John, a little bit later. Yeshua responded, This voice hasn't come for my sake, but for yours. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the prince of this world, the enemy, will be driven out. And as I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was about to die. This is right before he goes to the execution stake, to the cross. So what does this all mean? Just as Israel looked to the bronze serpent in the desert and lived and experienced healing, when we look to him, when we look to his death on the tree, we find life and healing. We find the forgiveness of sins. We find the new covenant, the renewed covenant that Ezekiel was talking about. 
We find new resurrection life, and we are born from above. We find everlasting hope. And if we've already found these things, maybe we need to go back. Go back to the center. Right? The Lord is our center. Lord is our home. Maybe we need to go back home. This should be the center of our lives, the foundation of of everything we do. So if we've moved away from this core vision, let's look to him again. Not look to ourselves. Not look to the things, right? Look to him. Let's close with some encouragement from Rav Shaul, the Apostle Paul, to the Corinthians. This is what he says. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come with excellence of speech or wisdom, proclaiming to you the mystery of God. For I decided not to know anything among you except Yeshua the Messiah and him crucified. That's the most important. Now, I don't think he meant that literally. I don't want to know anything about you. I don't want to know your names. I don't, you know, it's not like that, right? But it's a, he's exaggerating to make a point. I don't want to know anything else except Yeshua and him dying on the tree. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. So that your faith would not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Avinu, we thank you for your sovereignty over all things. We thank you that you are the center of, you are the true center of our lives. And um, help us, help us to come back to you, Lord. If we've never come to you, if we've never made you, Lord, help us to take that step, Lord. If we've never accepted your sacrifice, Yeshua, on the tree for us, so that we could be born from above, so that we could be forgiven. Help us to receive that. But if we have, Lord, help us to come back to the tree. Help us to come back to you, Lord. Help us to look to you, to lift you up, Lord. Help us to repent of these other things that we've made so important. What is that, Lord? That's idolatry. Anything that we make more important than you is idolatry. But you're so good and you're so kind that you're drawing us back, Lord. And you're allowing us to give up those things. So I thank you, Lord, that when we lift you up, we make you central, that you draw people to yourself. And we get to partner with you in that and we get to see the healing that you bring. We get to see the restoration and the resurrection life that you bring. Through Yeshua the Messiah, in his name we pray. Amen.